Would you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, just for a moment or two this afternoon. <clears throat> and uh, I want to share just a few thoughts with you from this um, this passage. I, I preached on it a while ago, and um, it's not on sermon audio yet, but it will be. Uh, so if you want to hear the full <laughs> the full works, then that's fine. Uh, it'll be, we'll be on eventually. But um, uh, Paul begins this letter to Timothy, his young son in the faith, with these words. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Saviour and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God, our Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Paul begins by writing to counteract some of the heretics that have crept into the church unawares. And I won't stop with uh, the details of of that now. Uh, But verse three gives a timely warning against error. A novelty for novelty's sake in any teaching. Verse four reminds us that so often our words are mere godless chatter and unedifying. Verse five, that there's a discipline to true faith. That verses six and seven, that some find these things too hard to understand, too demanding. And then verses eight to ten talk about the purpose of the law. Verse eight, for we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Uh, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And Paul is demonstrating that the purpose of the law is to show up wrongdoers uh, uh, and to demonstrate justice, but to confirm us in the gospel of the glorious of of the glory of the blessed God. And what I want to do just for a minute or two this this afternoon is to remind ourselves why this gospel is so glorious, because I hope that that will inspire us and encourage us in our praying. Well, why is it so glorious? Well, firstly, because it's God's gospel. Man did not invent it. It came from God, the source of truth and uh, the source of blessedness and glory. And therefore, we must not alter the truth, but declare it because it's not a guess or an opinion or a possibility or a probability. It does not contain the truth. It is the truth. It is the only true gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And that's wonderful. Secondly, because it reveals the true character of God. Now, again, I'm not going to stop with this now, uh, but we read in Romans of God's eternal power and Godhead. Uh, Some people just see God as the first cause, but he is so much more than that. He is creator he is the unseen master of the, ununi- of, the, of the universe. He is the maker and ruler and upholder and sustainer of all. And he is, in that sense, awesome. And uh, one uh, theologian some years ago said, we are in the presence of an unfamiliar reality. Now, that's, that's to some extent, sometimes frightening. Uh, But God, our God, is the all-powerful, all-wise God who is also all-merciful and all-gracious. He's revealed himself to men and women, both in his grace and glory. That's wonderful. 
He is the great God. And this gospel reveals the true character of God. Thirdly, this gospel reveals the true purpose of life. Man is created for eternity. Our Lord said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? Because men and women have immortal souls. But that is why Christ came to save us. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, we read of the hope that the Christian has and the fear that the non-Christian has. But where is our hope? Our hope is in the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And Paul remarks upon that later in this chapter in verses 15 to 17, when he speaks about the faithful saying that is worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. And then with those words of doxology in verse 17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That is our hope, isn't it? This is our God. This is who we come to when we pray. The true gospel, the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And true believers love the law of God because they love the God of the law. They love true doctrine. Paul talks about that at the end of verse 10, but sound doctrine. And that demands that we keep the law of God, but it also declares that we of ourselves cannot keep the law of God. We need God's great gift of deliverance, of forgiveness, of mercy and grace. That in our sinful condition, in our lostness and hopelessness, there is an answer. There is God's great grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ as he imputes his righteousness to us. The law makes us aware of our sinfulness, but the law demonstrates the extent of Christ's righteousness and obedience. That's why the gospel is a glorious gospel. And it's only in this true and glorious gospel that we learn the true purpose of life. Mankind was made for God and for his glory. And in this glorious gospel of salvation, we can know the truth as it is in the Lord Jesus. And then the fourth thing we can say is that this gospel is glorious because it works. Because it works. How does it work? It works through the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, through his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection. And we've just had Easter Sunday, haven't we? He who is sinless, he who paid the price to set his people free, he represents us. He presents our prayers to the throne of his father. And not that the father is reluctant. He is willing and ready to hear our prayers coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why this gospel is a glorious gospel. But there's something else in this verse, which I think we need to hold on to as we pray. Because not only is this gospel glorious, but the God of the gospel is also glorious. Look what he says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. 
And we mustn't transfer the glory of God to the gospel. The gospel is glorious, but it is glorious because the God whose gospel it is. And where does it come from? The blessed God. Literally, the happy God. The Greek word here is the word makarios. And it's only used here and in 1 Timothy 6.15 with regard to God. But it is the word that is used in the Beatitudes, the blessings of God. This God brings happiness to those who follow him. True happiness is to be found in him. This is a happiness, a blessedness that is an actual attribute of God. It is not just his disposition, his emotion, his, but it is his character, his attributes, his gospel. The God who is essentially blessed, even as he is holy. And that, my friends, is why obedience to his word and to his law makes a man happy. The righteous are greatly blessed when they are committed to the law of God. Because by that law, they have received grace and they come to know the God who radiates that splendor and glory through the gospel. What a privilege to be entrusted with such a gospel. How wonderful to know such a God. Our only hope of glory is if Christ is in us. What an amazing and glorious gospel this is. What a wonderful thing to be able to come and pray to this glorious God who is blessed and who shares that glory and blessedness with us. My friends, may this inspire and encourage our praying, not just for one another, but especially that God would come in revival power and do us good in these days.